just in town, visiting him? Or? Yeah, just a, for a little, little visit, you know, I'm trying to not come down here very much. I don't really love it here. You don't like LA? I'm just not really into the LA lifestyle. What lifestyle are you into? Look at him, he's like, he's like a hipster, right? No, 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 I'm not a hipster at all. Yeah, yeah, you do seem to hate a lot of things. And the bottom of your pants are awful tight. No, I, I just, I don't like Los Angeles. That's, it doesn't make me a hipster. I bet you hate movies that are universally loved. I, I don't even. You like Forrest Gump? No, no, it's a horrendous piece of shit. Life uh, is like a box of chocolates, no? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm familiar with it. You never know what you're gonna get. I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Oh, oh. Our next door neighbors are foreign countries. I call upon all nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank, Thank you. you. Now watch this drive. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Remember Shuffle, your podcast about 2000s pop culture, nostalgia, its lasting impact. My name is Ben. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jordano. Hello, hello. And joining us today are two special guests. We are joined by Dan. Hey. A.K.A. The True Pater. That's me. And we are joined by Sam. Woo! <laughs> hello. <laughs> you crush it. Here at Remember Shuffle, we like to pride ourselves on the diversity of topics that we choose. We've done movie episodes. We've done TV episodes. We've done books. We've read books for you. But today we're doing a totally new type of episode. We're doing an episode on a kind of guy. Because today we are talking about the hipster. The much maligned mustachioed intellectual who sips the oat milk IPAs and talks about how much better Arcade Fire was before they sold out by embracing the glockenspiel. They're the countercultural figure of the 2000s. The 19th century had the dandy or the transcendentalist poet. The 60s had the hippie. The 70s had the punk. The 90s had the b-boy. And we got the hipster in the 2000s. And I brought along my two friends. I haven't told you guys this, but I mean, I brought you on because I think you guys are my hipsterish most friends. We are Great. hipster recovering. <laughs> yeah, retired, retired hipsters. Aging and retired. There's nothing more pathetic than an aging hipster. Dan and Sam also run Instagram accounts, True Pater and Thank You for Shopping, two accounts with uh, a lot to say about irony. So we thought we'd bring them on to get a glimpse beyond the academic record and bring in some real-life hipsters. Yeah, we'll talk about the philosophies that make up a hipster, why they emerged at this moment in history, why 1999 for this type of guy, and how the events of the 2000s changed the subculture, and how this subculture, hipsters, changed society as a whole and whether that was good or bad it pains me we live in a world where nobody's heard of spearmen like all countercultures the hipsters sought to subvert society's expectations but in the most conformist way possible we've talked a lot on this pod about how apolitical this decade is how you have albums like american idiot that wants to protest a war without ever naming it and the hipster is the apolitical subculture they're not out there doing woodstock or doing protests like hippies their big protest is they're going to reject fucking applebees and they're going to go to a cafe instead they're not going to listen to mainstream top 40 music 
music. They're going to find Scottish Brit pop in the form of Bell and Sebastian from the mid 1990s. Right. <clears throat> right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Puberty podcast. Yeah. Coming uh, age podcast. Welcome, welcome to Your Body yeah. is Changing, <laughs> a podcast where people in their 30s I'm go through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a funny countercultural figure because compared to the 60s, the hippie or something, there were actual stakes to being a hippie. Your family might disown you if you told your parents that you were going to become a radical and grow your hair out and move to California or something or become a punk. Whereas there are no stakes to becoming a hipster at all. If you told your parents you were becoming a hipster and moving to Williamsburg, they'd be like, do you need some money? Or like, that sounds. I mean, my parents were really upset with me <laughs> yeah, I mean, personally. My dad did call, did call me gay for wearing skinny yeah. jeans. So. <laughs> Like, actually. Yeah, no, yeah. 100%. Young man, you turn down the shins right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, why were your parents like, uh, you know, no daughter of mine is leaving the house in felt overalls? I mean, pretty much. <laughs> okay, but for everyone who didn't have Sam's parents, <laughs> for, I feel uh-huh. like for most hipsters, if you started just taking up a hipster aesthetic and doing hipster things, it wouldn't create that much friction. It's a counterculture that if you imagine norminess as true north, the hipster is like true north two degrees to the right or left, I guess, more accurately. Which I think kind of speaks to the fact that it was an upper middle class phenomenon. Mm-hmm. The stakes were low because yeah. you're upper, upper middle class. You're not actually slumming it. You're just dressing you're like LARPing. you're slumming. Yeah, yeah, it was a complete LARP, total LARP. It was marked by disinterest yeah. more than anything. Yeah, if you're a hippie or a punk, what are you going to get a job doing? No, it's like an actual commitment to a lifestyle. Urban Outfitters, baby. That's where I worked. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a freaking hipster. Although I, I'm probably the only person here who actually had a fixed gear bike. So I'm hipster confirmed. What's the appeal? Just the simplicity, I guess? No, it sucked, honestly. (laughs) I only did it because everyone else did. I was like, this is cool. It's so hard. Did you have it in a city with hills? No, I lived in Philly, so it was so flat. It's still a city, though. It seems dumb. But yes, the hipster was the countercultural figure of the decade in that they rejected Applebee's and Target for the gastropub and American apparel. And what I think is kind of interesting is that their specific kind of rejection as we're going to talk about later, is linked to a kind of downward mobility. The hipsters weren't going to buy a house in the burbs and get their nice job and start their families or whatever, but also it's because that's just not an option for most millennials. And a lot of the uh, academic literature on hipsters always points to how it's localized to neighborhoods. Hipsters took over entire neighborhoods. The Lower East Side, Williamsburg, the Mission in San Francisco, Queen West in Toronto, all neighborhoods that I've lived in. Capitol Hill in Seattle I also lived in. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird for modern subcultures. I think. Can you imagine like an e-girl neighborhood? And if God, you I can, wish. <laughs> I mean, isn't that just Bushwick? I'm picturing it right now, like... and boy, I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would sign a lease. You said, wouldn't that be Bushwick? Yeah, well, right. I'm, I'm moving to Bushwick. <laughs> if there was an e-girl neighborhood, it would have to be at least two subway stops away from Sim City. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's the main industry of the e-girl neighborhood? Yeah, I don't know. OnlyFans. Yeah, selling used bathwater. That's the e-girl industry. <laughs> to get back on topic. It was like a very localized, hyper version of gentrification. It was when you really started seeing coffee shops and craft beer bars in historically black neighborhoods or poor neighborhoods. And it was the amplification of gentrification was hipsters, was white upper middle class hipsters doing it. I mean, that is the great lasting legacy of the hipsters, Mm -hmm. gentrifying black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hey, hey, and Puerto Rican neighborhoods. And 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 Jewish in Williamsburg. Yeah, Yeah, we'll get into this later, but they also gentrified white ethnic neighborhoods like Williamsburg, which were Polish and Italian. Mm-hmm. And Greenpoint. They're like the Borg. They just assimilated <laughs> everything into their... <laughs> into, 
No, the Borg were more respectful of individual cultures. They, <laughs> they, they maintain things that were like useful from the from the species they assimilated. So yeah, well, like I said, we'll get into that. But this is the most conformist counterculture that existed. It was the most amenable to being folded into mainstream consumerism. More than being a hippie or a punk. Probably even more than a, a, an e-girl or a raver or something. Like Dan mentioned, this is when the coffee shops and the craft breweries started. Could you imagine previous eras, counterculture, starting businesses? Like the, <laughs> the punk cafe that just immediately gets shut down by the health inspector for lacing coffee with too many uppers <laughs> or like not having a bathroom. To give you an idea of what some of these neighborhoods look like before all this gentrification, I went on a punk walking tour of the East Village and they stopped at the spot that used to be the venue CBGB. It is now a bank or like a John Varvatos, I <laughs> yeah, think. It's a John Varvatos. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, crazy. Yeah. it's a John Varvatos now. And the guide was like, Yeah, I like, played a show at CBGB. And it was like, Ooh. Ooh like, the bad brains, you've heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, it sucked. For the first 10 years that CBGB was in business, there was no bathroom. <laughs> the rules were if you had to piss, you did it against the wall. And if you had to poop, don't. That's <laughs> so sick. <laughs> that's the way every establishment should be. Yeah, I mean, you should yeah. bring that back. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm going to do in the John Varvatos story. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our hook. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the most conformist, consumerist subculture that there is that made many of the cool hip neighborhoods that we still have to this day. Yeah. And so many parts of our current mainstream culture come from these hipsters. And that's why it's important, because the most annoying and best aspects of hipster culture are now just normal things that everybody does. So yeah. we'll talk about how they might have been a good influence or a really horrible one. Before we move on, so anytime you want, just take a swing. The, the, mm-hmm. the stakes are insanely low. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do, you, do I look tense to you? No. Do you your, think jaw, tense? your jaw is a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you seem to be mashing your teeth. I yeah. did smash some Adderall before I came. Maybe let's just kick it in. When it comes to mainstream and counterculture, this is something I've noticed on Twitter where I hate follow a lot of right-wing accounts. The right-wingers will love to say, mainstream culture is fundamentally liberal. They fundamentally hate Judeo-Christian values, and if you really want to be a countercultural figure, you should embrace tradition. It's this asinine argument that if just rejection of normalness is what you want now, well, aha, what you really should be is conservative, and you should get married at 18 and pop out those babies and embrace your fucking gender roles. And it's funny, because with the 60s or a punk or even a fucking hipster, by rejecting your family, by rejecting the mainstream, you got something out of it. You got cool music, you got drugs, you got free love, you got a community if you were a fucking punk in a lifestyle. What do you get by joining the fucking conservative counterculture that they're starting? What cool bands do I get? Oh boy, I get to listen to all of the three doors down that I want. <laughs> I mean, you stick it to the man by sucking the man off. <laughs> Best way to go. When I joined the conservative counterculture, Dennis Leary TV shows just hit so much better. Yeah, you don't want you want coffee flavored coffee? <laughs> yeah. So let's get into the history. So everybody knows that the hipster is not a new term. It's, it's from the 40s and it referred to something different and they recycled the term for the current hipsters. I don't want anybody to get confused while we're talking about hipsters. And so there's three different types of hipsters and we need a naming system for the taxonomy that exists. So I'm going to call the 1940s slash 50s one jazz <laughs> cigarettes hipsters. That's how we'll be referring to the 1940s ones. If you're like a Gen X hipster from like 1999 to 2003, that's a PBR hipster. That's someone 
wearing a trucker hat and a pedo mustache drinking PBR. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first wave. The proto-hipster almost. The one that embraced the white trashiest aesthetic instead of the fucking cardigan aesthetic. Exactly. Yeah, the Von Dutch era. And the next type in the evolutionary tree is the 2004 millennial hipster. What we're going to call the craft beer hipster. So we have jazz cigarette hipster, our PBR hipster, and the craft beer hipster. Love it. What happened in the 1950s? We get this OG jazz cigarette hipster. They are white guys. Have you heard about this, folks? Folks, have you seen these guys? <laughs> they're white. They're what? And they're pretending to be black because <gasps> they want to be cool. Basically, it's a tale as old as time, really. <laughs> they start listening to jazz music and acting like uh, black people and using their slang. You can also associate it a little bit with the beatnecks, right? The fucking like Howell and Ginsburg and the, the guy who drove across the country and wrote about it. Jack Kerouac. That's the one. I've never read any Jack Kerouac because everyone I know who loves Jack Kerouac was fucking annoying. The yeah, I feel like you're not missing anything. The yeah. road at all. is good. I really like the road. The road is trash. It's called On the Road. Dude. On the Road. The road yeah, is the Cormac McCarthy fucking yeah, okay. yeah, the road is a banger. <laughs> <laughs> on the road, trash. Yeah. Really? I he, like wrote on toilet paper. A dude was the that's OG door cool. hipster. <laughs> actually, Big Sir, one of his books, is actually pretty good. Yeah. Other than that, he's trash. He died in his mom's house as an alcoholic. So, so sick. <laughs> Anyway, getting back to the topic here, there's, there's a very famous essay from 1958 by Norman Mailer called The White Negro about this type of guy, someone who was subverting society's expectations by pretending to be a black guy, which at the time, much cooler, I suppose, than the modern incarnation of that. Okay, so what is a hipster? How do we define what this type of guy is? Why do we call them that? Well, one thing that ties them both together is this idea of avant-gardism or a prioriism. A priorism. A priorism. But the basic idea behind these jazz cigarettes hipsters was that I have knowledge before the rest of this. I'm cool because I know things. I drink, I smoke and I know things. <laughs> I know what's cool before everybody else. I have the good type of taste. And so this new incarnation of the hipster is very aptly named because that's the big joke about them all the time, right? Is I I saw that band, you know, before they were mainstream. I started drinking LaCroix in 2003. I was there in 1968. I was there at the first can show in Cologne. Everything you like, I liked five years ago. Right. Yeah. I'm ahead of you. I have advanced knowledge. There's a great throwaway line in one of my favorite films, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, in which several of the bad guys are hipsters of this kind. But there's a throwaway line from a background character where he's at a house party. You just hear a guy go, yeah, I really like their first album better than their first album, which mm-hmm. kind of captures the hipster in one sentence. I was looking at a lot of memes from 2012. Remember how bad memes were in 2012, folks? folks? not good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Honestly, I think that was the golden age. Like the, the dumber, the better. The advice animals and stuff like that like that's what i'm talking oh, about oh like, yeah that was i tough. like the ones that were like the, that they're so primitive the right cards yeah. with like a weird victorian woman and just like a, yeah it's like, oh yeah, god yeah, those, yeah, were, yeah, those yeah. are like awful. a horrible saying like, yeah we talked about this those are the minions memes now basically yeah those things. Mm-hmm. i mean the minions memes maybe we shouldn't confuse those two honestly yeah. true painter is transitioning into strictly finally i found my voice and it's minions yeah but there were three different hipster formats if you remember there was the hipster meme of the barista oh yeah with the scarf yeah exactly yeah. and then there was one of a woman and then there was hipster ariel if you uh, recall oh as yeah well. of course mm-hmm. yeah. it was just ariel with like gl- oh, thick with rim the glasses and, like the weezer glasses yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah and this is all to say that this is the vibe that they typically imbibe most of the punchlines are related to like oh you like blank i liked blank before 
you. Literally just like the shittiest humor ever. <laughs> like yeah. not even close to being a joke. That's just what stinks. I mean. They're like very primitive, these old types of memes. It's like listening to like a, a radio show or something. Yeah. And one of the things that's kind of funny about the nomenclature is that no one ever called themselves a hipster. People called you a hipster because they thought you were pretentious or fake or inauthentic or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's actually something that's different, I think, with terms of hippies or punks, which were initially labels meant to sound bad. Like a punk was from fucking radio shows in the 1940s. Like, ah, book them. Yeah, punk or whatever. And they appropriated it and made the term their own. But no hipster ever wanted to be a hipster. No, no, one... no person has ever self-identified as a hipster. Yeah, it's like once. the N-word. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely the N-word. not how that works. <laughs> It's true. So what else is a hipster? We have two more defining qualities, which we brought up in the intro, which are nostalgia and irony. So punks and hippies, they're doing something sincerely. If you're a punk, you're participating in punk culture. Whereas if you're a hipster, you are calling back to a different white subculture. You're trying to be like a lumberjack or an intellectual or a white trash person or a dandy or a 19th century bodybuilder with a twirly mustache. Fuck yeah. (laughs) You know, the guy with the mustaches and the bald. Hard thinking about. <laughs> and so you know if you're a hippie you you have your own hippie culture but the hipster subculture is built around this idea of borrowing something else's subculture usually like a, a white identity a lot of it was tied to like blue collar culture too it was a search for authenticity through meaningful work that people weren't doing i mean pbr was traditionally a blue collar beer that working men drank and it was co-opted by hipsters it's the same with vintage clothing why do you think the idea of doing blue collar work is more authentic to someone like a hipster is there a shame in working an email job i guess to them deep-seated yeah i think inherently there was this is an upper middle class phenomenon where people grew up relatively well off and didn't watch their parents go to the factory every day there was something inherently more real about that and i think people clung to that yeah it's so interesting though because the whole thing about being a hipster is not having any real interest in anything like you're too cool for anything yeah like imagine a fucking punk in your head i'm sitting right here if you you were putting super glue in your hair to make a mohawk is because you care you're not doing that ironically you want to look fucking cool fucking badass fucking scary fuck ran out of breath fucking scary <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the various kinds of hipster aesthetic is just this piecemeal stuff from other times there was such an identifiable uniform too: flannel shirt mm-hmm. beanie skinny jeans beard mustache it's usually some kind of gesture towards an antiquated type of masculinity i feel like like being a white trash person right having the mustache or having having the flannel, like being a lumberjack, mm. uh, you know, yeah, it's a, a lumbersexual more... or like uh, having yeah. a big twirly mustache. It, it's all a gesture towards some type of hyper masculinity. But it's in an ironic sense. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. I mean, like, like that's the most important the, the part of the hipster jeans. is like the, everything is drenched in irony. Right. That's what we mean when we say irony, something that you're not. And then the nostalgia is the other part, too, where even if you're enjoying something like the Fleet Foxes, something modern, it's on a vinyl, right? It's on mm-hmm. an antiquated mm-hmm. form of technology. Or if you're eating Korean food, it's farm to table. It's some old type of farming. The older, the better. If you're drinking an IPA, it's small batch, right? It's something that was made using some kind of antiquated brewing method. There's a change in 2004, I think maybe because there's some kind of reaction to the war in Iraq and nationalism turns people off, but we get a shift to a more recognizable Wes Anderson style of hipster. So I'm going to show you a picture right now of a band. It's Neutral Milk Hotel. Yeah, this is a PBR hipster favorite. Yeah. Right. You don't have to tell me about Neutral Milk Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Look at these freaks. 
and you know they're 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 from Louisiana, and they got they got a, they got a workman's look to them. And then as the decade goes on, and millennials take on the the hipster torch, and we'll get into why they shift to a different look. Good. Does God. anybody know this band here? We'll put these pictures in the in the is show that notes. Mumford and Sons. It could be. It's not. <laughs> it, it is giving that. Yeah. It's giving Mumford. It's giving <laughs> Mumford. Yeah. yeah. If, if you had told me this was Mumford and Sons or the Lumineers, I would have believed you. But it's not. It's is it Decemberist? It is the Decemberist. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that you knew Undefeated, that. Undefeated, bro. Oh. Can't, you can't touch me. Listener, there are five people in this photo. Two of them are wearing bowler hats. Two different members are wearing the thick Weezer glasses. And everyone looks like a fucking train conductor from the 19th century. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's, like, it's like steampunk. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking, that's, this is the worst variation of Upper the Upper class steampunk. Sam, how would you describe the clothes the, the woman is wearing here? It's hard. To, what is that a vest? It looks like a, maybe like a, a wide cravat. I, I really, I mostly I want to talk about her facial expression. Mm-hmm. I'm very confused by oh, it. Yeah, it is kind of like you're being photographed in an old-timey picture or something. Yeah. 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 That's Interesting. A, that's the perfect way to describe that picture. <laughs> yeah, do you guys have any other points about how do you recognize a hipster? What makes up their raison d'être? Was that French? Yeah. <laughs> if, let's say, your cousin from, um, you know, Kosovo was visiting. <laughs> <laughs> the first country uh-huh. that you thought of was Kosovo. The classic space. It's gone. <laughs> and and he was like, hey, what? He's a hipster. And and you were like... Oh, you were looking for a white country you could do an accent of. <laughs> no. I see why Kosovo came up. Interesting. <laughs> and you were trying to tell him how to recognize them. Is there anything you would sort of point to? There was just an inherently dork feature to all of it. It was like a fucking loser trying to look cool. I was at Babies All Right yesterday with my friends from Chicago. And they were looking around and they were like, everyone here is like ugly hot. I was just like, yeah, it's just like a bunch of Adam drivers, you know, just like <laughs> that was the, and I feel like that's kind of it, just kind of ugly, but hot. Yeah, like freak nerds. He's got a fresh yeah. look. Yeah, yeah. he's like got it. a fresh look about him. Yeah. He, yeah, he's a weird hot guy, I guess, Adam Driver. Do, do you, have you guys seen the first episode of Girls when he's naked? Oh, yeah. And, and your, his oh, body yeah. is just like... <laughs> I actually don't find him attractive at all. No? He's a very de- oh, no. <coughs> pardon me. He's a very <laughs> he's a very divisive man. Women are either repulsed by him or unrepentantly attracted to him. Mm-hmm. I like the way he says things. He does have an interesting diction and like sure. yeah. 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 I'll consider it. He's yeah. he an old timey. I think like, that's what rhythm. pisses me off and makes me unattracted the most is his is his voice. His to be cadence. honest. Okay, so why was the hipster? Why did it? What is the philosophy of these people? Why did they start behaving? this way and first we'll talk about the pbr hipsters a lot of the academia actually points to something that i find compelling but uh, maybe you guys will find that it's stupid but the idea is that in the late 90s white people are moving back into the inner city young people and their neighborhoods that are black puerto rican polish you know whatever jewish and these young white people need some way to signal to each other and they're from all over the country and they need to sort of create a common cultural bond between them and that common thing between all of them is that they were raised in the suburbs in the 1970s and 80s and so they wear the trucker hat and they have the wood paneled basement and the mustache and drink the pbr because it's saying to each other oh i'm also from a basement in ohio i also have this white trash upbringing and this is the thing that we all have in common ethnically and so if you're an italian person from detroit or you're like a scots irish person from kentucky you go to williamsburg you're surrounded by puerto ricans you're terrified (laughs) (laughs) and you need some way to sort of signal to the other white people 
people what type of person you are. So you're mimicking all of this suburban ephemera, essentially, which I thought was pretty interesting. And some of the stuff that comes from this idea is <laughs> like Gavin McGinnis likes to talk about this a lot, actually. That, that was, that's a guy go. with great ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin McGinnis' idea is that for the first time in your life, white people aren't the majority, you're the minority. And so for the first time ever, like, it's okay to celebrate being white. Oh, now we're cooking. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) This is the right pod. I'm I'm really happy to be here, everyone. Folks, now it's time to cook. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think the point is that you can take on this white working class aesthetic and it's not culturally appropriative. You can signal your suburban upbringing, like Jordana said, when you're feeling, you know, dislocated in your new environment in the city <laughs> and you know it's, it's a way to embrace a culture without having to like learn another language if you're an italian american you don't want to learn italian you just want to say muzadel and call it a day or whatever the fuck <laughs> hell yeah the idea of this post white flight return to the city of the children of the white flight leaving the city going to the suburbs and then the kids coming back and having to signal to each other that they are one of a kind you know mm-hmm. is interesting yeah. also it's so funny to trace the descent of Vice and Gavin McGinnis. So Vice was a hipster publication for our PBR hipsters. It was a fashion magazine that moved from Montreal down to, I think, Williamsburg, but down Mm -hmm. to New York from Montreal. And I think it was initially a little bit radical in terms of his politics. But by the time you get to the Obama presidency, they're like, actually, liberal intervention in Syria is good. It's like, (laughs) they're totally just lib-brained. And then its founder, Gavin McGinnis, is a fucking internet Nazi now. Yeah, the inventor of the Proud Boys. I mean, Vice was everything. Vice was the cultural touchstone, speaking from someone who lived through it, to my variation of the hipster. The PBR hipster. Yeah, it was the coolest thing. They always did Vice Guide to whatever city, and they would just send reporters and do insane, actually radical-ass reporting. It was really cool for a while. They were so awful, though. I I mean, when you look back, it's cringe as hell. In the moment, it felt like culturally very important. Out of curiosity, I don't want you on the spot, but could you remember an example of their radical reporting yeah instantly i think of one where they like went to poppy fields in i forget what country it was these homeless guys in whatever country it was would go to the poppy fields and slice it open and cook heroin and shoot heroin and they filmed the whole thing and it was guys squatting on some opium farm in kosovo (laughs) (laughs) don't know what country it was but it was just subversive interesting things as the internet was evolving because all this is so tied to the internet the idea of the hipster it grew as the internet grew and vice was a go-to resource at that time and it was the only medium or media that spoke to the idea of a hipster because all the reporters were fucking hipsters i mean they were all Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. white guys with skinny jeans in fucking williamsburg mozambique like doing reporting it was wild yeah their headquarters was in williamsburg yeah Yeah. i will say the first time i ever did coke was at a vice party and (laughs) i had coke with me i mean my friend also just like bought coke and as soon as someone called the police (laughs) as soon as one of the reporters one of the guys found out i had coke he alerted everyone else that we had coke even though they had their own coke and then demanded that we give them the rest of our coke there was like a table and this guy like took our coke and put out 15 lines i'm not kidding how old were you i was probably 12. 20 we all just sat there and i waited to do my line of coke <laughs> like, oh my yeah. god yeah like like, vice man i don't these know middle-aged guys were like oh you teenage girl <laughs> do you mind if we yeah. use your cocaine <laughs> yeah well i mean the funny thing eventually vice got outed as having horrible 
horrible work, but like they abused women in the workplace. None of it is shocking. Kids were so desperate to work for Vice that they would intern there for like three years unpaid because they were fucking Mm -hmm. rich kids, moved to New York, wanted to work at the coolest company. Yeah, Yeah, it was the cool company. And I knew people that would intern at Vice and their parents would be paying their rent because they were working for free. It was insane. It's crazy. And I feel like part of their ethos at first was we're bad people. The name of the fucking publication is Vice, (laughs) right? Of course we're shitty, but I feel like as they grew, they really just tried to make themselves into CNN. Mm -hmm. When I was working in Canada at a TV broadcaster, I remember I worked with Vice at one point and they set up a cable television station. (laughs) Can you think of anything more antithetical? In like 2009 or something. (laughs) What the fuck are you doing? It was 2017. Really? Yeah. And they had a cable television channel and it's like, you've lost your way for sure. (laughs) They saw the dollar signs. They knew they were the cool company and they fucking, I guess you could say sold out. Sure. (laughs) They fucking made a ton of money. They made a goddamn cable TV channel and it all tanked eventually. Now Vice is a joke. More importantly, Gavin McGinnis without a beard. We should pull pull that up. Okay. Really important, I think. looks like a Wojak in real life. It's it's wild. (laughs) It's so wild. I've never, I mean, I get why he's always had a beard now. His like fucking dandy boy mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Good lord. Ew, oh, dude. Oh. Like zero chin. Like negative chin. Negative chin. Yeah, it's tough. Dude, really ugly man. That's why he was really beating the drum for hipster beards. It was pure self-interest. Yeah, it was pure <laughs> hide my gross chin. <laughs> He's such a loser. He just he got rid of his beard for court. Some of that Come irony on. is baked into the Proud Boys, too, because like the actual name of the Proud Boys comes from a song from Aladdin. Yeah, I mean, I'm a card-carrying member of the Proud Boys. <laughs> Trust me, I've heard about it. Anyway, so getting back to the philosophy of the hipster. Right? Yes, we're back to our why was the hipster. So we just talked about the PBR hipster, right? The, the white working class thing. Now we'll get into the craft beer hipster. And here's my take. Wave it, two. Uh, this is my theory for why the craft beer hipster exists. <laughs> Let's go. Right? Okay. So in the 2000s, what's happening? For the first time ever, a university degree does not guarantee you a high paying job, mm. right? So you have all of this cultural capital, went to university, come from an upper class background, but you have no actual physical capital to show for it, right? You don't have any money. And so in an effort to resist being declassed, you take on the role of a tastemaker, someone who knows things. You have cultural capital. You can recognize good art and good culture because you're probably underemployed, right? And so that's my theory on how the hipster sort of jumped from being the, the PBR hipster to being the kind you think about in your head who wears a cardigan or a flannel shirt and has the glasses. It's essentially, it's a reaction to being underemployed. And I have a quote here from Broyard, who wrote this in 1948. Yeah, Anatoly Broyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at Dan. Oh, my God. Come on, dude. Dan's well-read. I know I know how to read. <laughs> true, true Guys, Pater can you is, believe it? True Pater is well-read. <laughs> N Plus One's collection of essays, What Was the Hipster, summarized Broyard by saying this, quote, this is talking about the original hipster from the 40s, the, the jazz cigarette hipster. So the hipster both in black and white incarnations, in his essence, had been about superior knowledge. I insist that black hipsterism was developed from a sense that black people in America were subject to decisions made about their lives by conspiracies of power, which held a monopoly on information and knowledge that they could never know. The hip reaction was to insist purely symbolically on forms of knowledge, which you, the black knower, possessed before anyone else, and in fact, before the creation of positive knowledge, a priori. So, you know, you have this password of of, uh, hip slang, symbolic knowledge, black people are becoming hip because they they don't have any control over the actual world and to me that sounds familiar it sounds like someone who's graduated college in the 2000s and is underemployed
unemployed. Yeah, a downwardly mobile millennial. Right. I have no control over my economic self, and so I'm going to assert my power by having good information. I may live in a studio with nine roommates, but goddamn, my Flaming Lips vinyl collection? <laughs> totally worth it. They're both reactions to material conditions, but why is the original feel more authentic than the modern version? Because the modern version is completely devoid of authenticity. But are we just like romanticizing it because we weren't around for that? I mean, probably. Yeah. We're doing, or I'm doing nostalgia in real life. Right. You know? yeah. You're soying on nostalgia. I'm soy, I'm soy facing for yeah. the black hipster of the 40s. <laughs> I think part of the reason is actually the internet. Why we feel oh, that yeah. it's inauthentic, where in the era of the internet, it was never easier to be a tastemaker, to find cool music. You didn't need to scour record stores and look for fucking limited printing of certain albums to show off your cool. You could download it. You could torrent it. It was so readily available. So it was meant to be an epic dab about being a tastemaker, but it felt inauthentic because A, it was easy, and B, once you get to a terminal mass of nonconformists, not to sound like the right-wing people I was parodying, but it's like, oh yeah, you like the Arcade Fire. Cool. You and a whole hell of a lot of other people. I'm not sure what year it came out, but the first LCD sound system single, Losing My Edge, like, yes. defined all of that. He was yes. like, someone somewhere knows every band and they fucking have the exclusive records or whatever mm-hmm. it was because the internet shrunk everything down to where anyone anywhere could be an expert on fucking anything. Yeah, Dan read my mind. I was about to bring up LCD sound Hell system. Yeah. To me, that's the defining band of whichever. Mm-hmm. I think it bleeds between PBR hipster and craft beer hipster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, James Murphy, we watched uh, that movie Meet Me in the Bathroom and I think both of our favorite parts were a moment where he spent his entire life knowing every single like obscure song reference from the 70s mm-hmm. and he's opening up Napster for the first time and <laughs> looking through it and he just has the most pained expression on his face and he just goes I've wasted my life <laughs> <laughs> I mean legitimately that's such a distillation of the capital of cool like the cultural capital that people used to have of tribal knowledge or internal scene knowledge was just available to everyone so it was mm-hmm. like anyone can be the fucking expert to be a tastemaker in the original sense you had to go through records. you had to stores. actually be cool yeah, yeah 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 and then in the age of the internet you have an internet connection and like know what to google you have tumblr you yeah. have tumblr you have yeah. what's the music one like eight tracks or uh, uh sound what's the, the soundcloud maybe but uh what's the one hype machine or something like that like what hype machine you just made that any any song blog i'm so fucking mad because jordano's just stroking out saying words that sound like apps but they yeah. all <laughs> they all could be apps folks have you heard of can song we, machine can we check that can somebody check hype on machine it? it's a real thing hype mach- what the fuck i mean like i had soul seek and i had kazaa and fucking LimeWire. Lime wire. Hype Machine doesn't appear to be a thing. Interesting. Well, it is now. The name of this episode, <laughs> Hype pat, Machine. Can we pat? <laughs> yeah. Those old blog spots, do you remember those? Yeah. Where you, you could download like yes. a zip file of some fucking new wave band that put out one seven inch with like four <laughs> songs on it in 1984. But you can like be download on it on the exclusive post on that. Yeah, yeah. And you would download and be like, I have this thing that when it existed in its time, like four people cared about it. The internet made things so exclusive, even though it was so broadly available where you felt like you were onto something that no one else was onto. I think part of the reason it feels inauthentic
topic and part of the reason people would look down on hipsters is that it was a subculture because it's based around having good taste because it's based around listening to the coolest things it is based around consumption consumption is baked into the fucking bones of the thing Mm -hmm. whereas those hippies made music right janice joplin sounds like she smells bad like a hippie right (laughs) they were making art and doing woodstock and i don't want to put the fucking hippies up on a pedestal because they all turned into boomers yeah they're now running the world it's look at the world now it's dog shit of course but the idea is i think that while there definitely were hipster artists who were making art i think that the chunk of the pie of creating versus consumption feels like it's a lot smaller Mm. for this particular counterculture definitely and there's an ethos attached to the hippies there was an ethos attached to the punks yeah is there a definable ethos attached to the modern hipster no besides trying to be cool they're too detached yeah yeah but i do feel like if you were a hipster you were liberal yeah you were a liberal but you know hippies would chain themselves to a tree punks might burn down something yeah what are you going to do to oppose the war in iraq i hate referencing the end of history but it's like the cultural reaction to the end of history there's nothing new we have nothing else to do let's go backwards Mm -hmm. let's fucking listen to the old music and ape the style of old things and drink the old beers (laughs) drive those big penny farthing bicycles that was i wish i did that (laughs) (laughs) the huge front wheel is so sick dude okay yeah cycling is a super hipster thing but in williamsburg there was a bicycle jousting club hell yeah you want to talk about old is bicycling (laughs) and fucking jousting when i I lived in seattle for like a year and there was fixed gear bike polo where they would play like horse polo but on fixed gears it was insane i watched it one time i was like i gotta get the fuck out of this city seriously yeah yeah the cops shut down bicycle jousting there were a lot of injuries I feel like send the bombs personally just bomb it out i don't know <laughs> okay so yeah we'll move on to the next topic here which is the idea of the female hipster because new york magazine they actually stated that there was no such thing as a female hipster and i've seen other publications do this that they said it's sort of an exclusively male phenomenon and i disagree strongly zoe deschanel yeah, yeah. zoe deschanel is i think a, a great yeah. example i always think of lena dunham upper class she went to the new school in oberlin mm. moves to greenpoint and makes an independent films. If that's not a hipster, I don't know what is. Also, everyone hates her, which is a very hipster thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, now she is. She's having a renaissance of people revisiting girls and be like, actually, yeah. it was based. Mm. People like it now. That's, Weird. That first season fucking rocks. Yeah, it is actually really good. I like it a lot. Yeah, I watched every episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at us. Just fucking redeeming Lena Dunham. <laughs> I said the first season. It <laughs> falls off. Yeah, dude. it's really bad. Yeah. That is the cycle of hipster preferences, too, is like it's always changing. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I like the first season better. <laughs> It's always a full cycle, though. Yeah. Like, you have to dislike it, then like it, then just, you know, it's like the whole... Exactly. I yeah, I like Lena Dunham's earlier work, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm more of a tiny furniture fan. I was looking at the Hipster Handbook, which was published in 2003, and they had a list of things that hipsters don't like. And I'm like, oh, yeah, any of this stuff now, like teaching Sunday school or something, you could probably do that because it is subverting expectations to, to be the only person who, who does something. Well, that's like, the, that's a Tradcath reaction now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think because the whole the whole ethos is based around rejection for people like Zoe Deschanel, when you have your ethos based around rejection, you start to embrace some weird things where the female hipster in some of the stuff we we're reading is associated with baking and knitting and activities that you would once associate with very traditional gender roles, which is weird because like Sam said, you think of the hipster and you do think of a liberal. But yeah, you take up the home ec hobbies. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, as the only girl in the room, as a, as a former <laughs> as a hipster. professional, I feel like Zoe Deschanel. If you want to talk about like, subcultures or whatever, she was more twee. And I can't believe it's taken this long for anyone to say twee. Yeah, I know. twee is so embedded in the second wave of the hipster. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Was a girl hipster only twee then? Is that is that the only other option? No, no. There was also a PBR hipster for women. Have you guys ever heard of Corey Kennedy? No. no. Okay. She was the foremost hipster model, mm. and she dated and worked with a lot of the big hipster photographers. There's been millions of Polaroids taken of her. <laughs> yeah, who was that guy? Who was Rick, Terry Richardson? Mm. He was the photographer, right? The guy who like would always have his dick out in the photos. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. also, who was the American Apparel guy? Dov Charney oh, or whatever? Yeah. Him too. I mean, going back to the Vice thing, everyone's just taking advantage of women. That was a big part of a hipster subculture. <laughs> yeah. Like American Apparel, Urban Outfitters, Vice, the quote-unquote hipster companies, things that resonated with young urban whites in that era were just like horribly manipulative to companies. It's also just companies. like business as usual, right? Yeah, like that's yeah. always been that way. That's BAU, baby. It's not it, like specific to the hipsters. It, I think it, that's just the way it always has been. I was reading about this girl, Corey Kennedy. From 2005 to 2010, she's the it model in the hipster community. Have you guys ever heard of the websites uh, Last Night's Party, Cobra Snake, or yeah. Road Rage? They just took pictures of hipsters' parties. Yeah. She mm-hmm. was in all of them. And I looked her up. I'm like, oh, she must be old now. And it's like, oh, no, she's younger than me. <laughs> so yeah. in that 2005, sucks. 2010, she's dating a bunch of these hipster photographers. Mm. And I'm like, oh, now it makes sense that American Apparel was the main brand of the subculture. Mm. How old was she? She was like 15 to okay. 20 years old. Wait, is there a pedophile connection with American Apparel? Oh, yeah, for sure. They, I think so. They, yeah. oh, I mean, they were famous for having tons of teenage models yeah. that the executives were sleeping with. Uh, mm. okay. And a lot of photo shoots that went awry, yeah. you know, mm. that sort of thing. Also, in order to work there, they had to take your picture and then they would approve if you were good looking enough. Yeah. I mean, everyone, yeah. I mean, it was sick. Which, everyone who worked there was so hot. <laughs> <laughs> These companies are ostensibly on our side. If my side is the hipster side, it's like, oh, they're like cool, ethical companies. But like Sam said, it's a fucking business as usual. They're just horrible people, you know? Yeah. Even Urban Outfitters, they were conservative, like the owners. Yeah. They were super conservative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Money. So just to wrap up this female hipster part, it's interesting that you guys brought up the idea of hipster women gesturing towards older types of femininity, like uh, roles in the house with baking or knitting or doing uh, what's that thing where you make a picture out of oh, oh needlepoint embroidery yeah. Yeah. embroidery yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, like yeah. that is the female version of, of what the guys are doing which is working at a bike repair shop or dressing like a lumberjack or a 19th century bodybuilder or something I just like want to be clear for the record I didn't do any of those things yeah. <laughs> like I was not baking or any of those things I was hanging so out with no just to be baking. just to be clear here yeah but yeah I mean like the Zoe Deschanel style tweet the, 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 yeah, the tweet look yeah. exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a plaid skirt. The subculture of the counterculture. The taxonomies will always branch out any subculture. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when you tell a punk that they're a punk. And they're like, no, I'm actually not a punk. I'm ska core. Right. Whatever. <laughs> a couple more things in the hipster philosophy section here. I read an academic article that I thought was pretty funny. It talks about the douchebag being the antithetical character to the hipster. The, a Jersey Shore type guy. Right. Right. Someone Pop who... Pop like, collar on the Apollo. Exactly. Yeah, the bro. Spikes the bro. hair, goes to the club. This is the arch rival of the hipster. Mm. Yeah, the Chad to the soul. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to say, my kind of man right yeah. here. Yeah. A Staten Island style yeah, guy. Hell yeah, hell yeah. 
<laughs> Goomba Johnny or whatever. Right. Did you ever date any Guido type guys? Definitely. Really? Yeah, I'm, from, I'm from Staten Island. Right. Like it's, it's a rite of passage. You can't, yeah, you can't miss it. So that's a beautiful thing because you were a hipster girl. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. This is like Staten Island. The skater boy <laughs> well, song. Yeah, right? Y2, Y2K Staten Island <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> the Chad Goomba versus the soy hipster. <laughs> And bros are not concerned with enjoying something that's mainstream. They wouldn't say, oh, I can't listen to this band. It's so mainstream, right? Like they, they celebrate things that are popular. You know? yeah. They're fucking huge. They like what they like. Yeah. They're not mm. being ironic about it. Their tastes mm. are not dependent on what other people like. We've been using a lot of modern terms like virgin chat, I heard someone say, but this is also the based cringe continuum is oh, yeah. also here where the hipster is always detached and ironic. The douchebag bro is always genuinely loving fucking going to the club and whatever yeah i mean look at how people use cringe nowadays and we're going to talk about the fucking echoes in the culture but i see that as baked into the hipster mentality being sincere is bad Mm -hmm. which is probably not a great thing in our society it's probably not a great baseline (laughs) principle that we're rocking with that like caring about stuff is cringe like genuinely caring is creepy oh yeah (laughs) like anthem right god this is i hate that i know so much about this shit i'm (laughs) fucking kill myself i know honestly like after this just get the gun you know Yeah, Yeah, I say embrace cringe for sure. Yeah, I mean, being sincere is hard. Irony being the base level of everything. Caring was creepy. Mm -hmm. Caring about something sincerely and acting like it mattered made you a dork, and Mm -hmm. that's not a good way to have a society. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good way to look cool for about ten years. Last topic here, and everybody's favorite topic: uh, gentrification. (laughs) What are you talking about? What do you mean? I've never heard of that. (laughs) My dad has been trying to pronounce this word for like seven years since he first heard about it and every time he calls it genderfied <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much I gotta perfect. say rocks. yeah <laughs> he you know what it's not entirely a wrong right. you're not that, you're not that far off he's not he's, he's on the mo- yeah he's when he's your dead. neighborhood starts getting genderfied when you get more than two genders you know there's white people in the neighborhood <laughs> It's true. Yeah. I was taking Spanish for a little while and my teacher asked me where I lived. I said bed and he nicknamed me El Gentrificator. <laughs> that sounds way more elegant. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a compliment. But yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned this up at the top of the show. This is the millennial and young Gen X generation on white flighting back to the cities that their parents and grandparents had fled. Obviously, it had a huge impact on the neighborhoods that they moved to. They became entirely unaffordable for anyone who wasn't a professional trust fund right <laughs> this is also a tale as old as time i'm sure that the hippies did the same thing to hate ashbury but i don't know if punks were ever responsible for i don't think they were successful enough to yeah. really, to really <laughs> yeah. no, the punks lived in a world where you could still squat in new york city right. and, yeah. you, and you could actually make art in new york because it was affordable to live in that's the best subculture i think i've learned from doing this it, the east village is still one of the most affordable neighborhoods in manhattan mm. i think mm-hmm. and you know punks never seem to have suffered that ill. No one moves to the East Village because they're like, oh, Johnny Rotten once lived on this block. Or <laughs> Johnny oh, there's Rotten. an epic Johnny Rotten mural on this block. I'm going to freaking move here. And it's just angel wings. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> so sick. There yeah. is a Joe Strummer mural in the East Village. Mm-hmm. And yeah, right across in the park. The Ramones <laughs> lived in the East Village. Their first album is a photo of them leaning up against a gate around Tompkins Square Park. And these guys were so lazy and probably so chronically fucked up that their living space, their practicing space, and the place where they took the photo for their first album are all on one block. It so rocks. Mm-hmm. And now an apartment there costs $4,000 a month. <laughs> Affordable New York City. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned that we thought that the phenomenon of the hipster was so wrapped up with the downward mobility of millennial people, but this is still relative. So the downwardly mobile millennials who are moving to these cities still come from more affluent backgrounds than the people that live there. So the result is that Whole Foods is going to start moving in. Unaffordable businesses are going to start moving in, and the rents are going to go up accordingly because, like Dan said, you got trust fund kids who are going to be interns at Vice for three years, so they can still afford it, even if they will never get the same level of stability that their parents might have had. We've talked about what was the hipster. We've tried to define it. Irony, a priorism, nostalgia. We've talked about why we think it happened, the social trends and forces that led to this particular moment. And now we're going to look into what in our culture now is an echo of this hipster culture. Yeah. So when we think about the echoes in the culture, you know, think about how like the hippies impacted the world. You can see it in something like the way that Starbucks, you know, if you go into a Starbucks, they got the fucking coffee written in chalk and... This is a Dennis Leary bit. (laughs) (laughs) No, but okay, that's a perfect example. Yeah, there are certain aspects of that subculture that were folded into the mainstream culture Mm -hmm. and now everybody is familiar with yoga or Mm. generally familiar with Buddhism or the the musical impact that they had is huge, Mm -hmm. right? All the hippie music. So what are the aspects of hipster culture that eventually got merged into mainstream culture? What did we pick up from these people? Yeah, Mm -hmm. if you ask a boomer what they think a hipster is, they're just going to say millennial. That Venn diagram to a boomer is a perfect fucking circle. It did become one and the same as a millennial. It bled so far into boomers on Facebook, just Mm -hmm. railing about hipster to just railing about millennial, and it was interchangeable. Like Jordano kind of said, you see it with the hippies too, where free love didn't go back in the bottle. The changes in sexual mores and even yoga, the granola, starting to care about the environment in the 60s, that got appropriated into the mainstream because that's what consumerist capitalism does. It commodifies even cultures that are meant to be opposed to it. So what about the hipster has been commodified into our mainstream? Something like microbrewed beer, mm-hmm. right? The idea of wanting to taste your beer, I think, yeah. got folded into consumer well, I mean, culture. There was like an insane craft beer boom the last like 10 years. And that extended to like so many other products, just making them look like they're crafts. Small selection of it. Mm-hmm. It's really by like Yoplait or something. <laughs> the big yeah, like yeah. Dannon or whatever. Any food or drink, really. Pickles. You could buy some artisanal pickles yeah. or anything you'd buy at a farmer's market. Yeah, you need to make it look not branded. Right. You need to make right. it look not mass And I know we, we keep repeating this, but this fake authenticity. You're buying it because it looks like it could have been made in a basement, but mm-hmm. I know that it actually was made by craft, borrowed authenticity. And it's funny because the reaction to this just never fucking hits or lands. I remember there was a Super Bowl ad a few years ago by Budweiser that was trying to rip on craft brews. They said, mm. we're proudly macro brewed. So sick. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking support that. But I, yeah, I don't know. I just remember everyone in the room groaning and rolling their eyes when that happened. And me standing up it's and being like, <laughs> You guys know Sebastian Maniscalco, the Italian-American comedian? I do, yeah. He has a bit about Whole Foods. The people over there bother me. Ever go to Whole Foods? Everybody at Whole Foods looks like they make their own clothes. Everybody's eating seeds. 
They come up to the meat counter. Is it organic? Is it farm to table? Do the chickens have friends? And do they play well with one another? And God, like, that sucks ass. It's so bad because that's not who goes to Whole Foods. Literally, no. it's owned by Amazon. Yes. Everybody like, goes there. One time I went to Trader Joe's. The security guard at Sephora saw my Trader Joe's bag and said, oh, non-GMO, Monsanto. Yeah, go. And like, I was like really excited about it. And it was Good the most God. embarrassing experience of my entire life. Like, <laughs> like he was basically heckling me, but he was trying to be nice, I guess. It was, it was a lot. That's another great example of the, the Whole Foods thing where Trader Joe's, if you went there in 2003, that probably was a hipster mm. uh, grocery choice. And now mm. that is, that's like going it's to... It's owned by the Aldi company. Yeah. The giant German supermarket brand. Mm-hmm. They're in the suburbs. Suburban whites go there. Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, and the proliferation of healthy or green or all that shit was not directly a result of hipsterdom, but get filtered through the culture for sure. Yeah, or stuff that's made to look healthy. Yeah. I remember a buddy of mine one time he was told, and this is apparently true, millennials are not only predicted to do worse than their parents, our average lifespan is plummeting. And this buddy of mine was like, but but all that Arizona green tea that we drink, that's good for you, right? So good, dude. <laughs> it's like, it's that, like, that was like all I would drink. Yeah. And then one day I looked at the calories yeah. and the sugar content it's like a and like Mac. cried. <laughs> I like cried. Like, it was just really but upsetting. No, it's tea. It's green tea. I was tea. like, it's, it's delicious. What you. do you mean? And yeah. it has like antioxidant thing on it and like the right. plus sign. It's mm-hmm. like, bro, this, what is this, like, from a doctor? This yeah. is crazy. <laughs> I like all of a sudden gained 10 pounds after drinking it like every day consistently for a year and I was like, huh, why is that? And then I like looked at the content I was like, fuck. Uh, the other thing hipsters uh, gave society are expensive coffees. You know what? It's not even that much of a joke to say like a $6 cappuccino or a latte anymore. No, it costs that much. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. I wish it didn't. Upsetting. But yeah, it's not just coffee but a coffee culture around it. Third wave coffee, right? Is it, what is it? Which one? I thought that was like feminism. They do waves. Are you talking about feminism, dude? Yeah. Coffee has waves. I thought you were talking about ska. Ska <laughs> comes in waves, too. Interesting. Uh-huh. Anyway, yeah, they're big fans of very intricately built coffee. You've put a lot of effort into this. One of my favorite things about hipster coffee is that they love the Chemex. They love the Chemex. Folks, have you seen this? The pour over, they love it. <laughs> and the Chemex is hilarious to me because it, that's exactly how a coffee machine works. Yes, yeah, literally what a coffee machine does, quicker automated. <laughs> the only difference is that it, it happens in glass instead yeah. of plastic. But I think this idea of craft culture is sure is a runoff of that for sure. Everyone wants to go to the nice looking thing or get something artisanally made. Yeah, this craft culture around food was new in Anglo-North America and probably Anglo-England, but if you're from fucking Italy or France, this is just what food is. Right. (laughs) It's something that's so, like, pathetic and cucked about us. It's like, no, but in the 2000s, we, like, started caring about food, like, a lot. Like, if you said this to an Italian, they would spit in your fucking face. How dare you call that food? I mean, that's just what Italians do, so. (laughs) I'm getting ahead of us a little bit, but I think it is a good thing about hipster culture because, because what you're rejecting is wonder bread it yep. is a ultra processed food which is horrible this stuff is generally better and sorry dan but a, a nice beer that you if can you're gonna talk it, shit on budweiser i'm <laughs> out of here it's, it's better than <laughs> like budweiser it, yeah. <laughs> or having a nice sourdough is better than a loaf of, of wonder bread yeah if you want to hate on the hipster in hipster food culture you need to tell me what the alternative is if you're like man fuck your gastropub i'm going to buffalo wild 
wild legs. Like, right, B-dubs you know. also rocks. <laughs> yeah. I came into a hostile environment here. <laughs> B-dubs only has microwaves in the back, Dan. That's fine. I love that microwave is the most efficient kitchen tool there is. But the point is that a lot of the stuff that survived from hipsterism is all good, right? Yeah. When we talk about like, improvements to food, we talk about something like beards. Woo! The 80s and 90s are a very bare-faced era. <laughs> Why do we think beards are a good thing? Oh, so, shit. I'm just wondering. <laughs> oh, my God, you all have beards. I just <laughs> <realized>. <laughs> Some of us have very weak jawlines. <laughs> yeah, some of us are Gavin pardon. McGinnis who have <laughs> negative chin. Yeah, it's yeah. Just really warm in the winter. It's nice. I'm sorry. Why don't you grow I'm a so beard, sorry. bitch? I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> Hipsters also popularized something like tattoos. They made them mainstream, right? right. I feel yeah. like if you see a dude in his 60s and he has tattoos, it's like, damn, man, you were a fucking criminal, yeah. soldier, or cop. Yeah. Two different things you could be. I mean, and like I, a guy with sailor tattoos and I didn't serve in the military or anything. They just looked cool. Man, you know? that rock. I was a victim of, of that. I am a victim. I don't care. They Tattoos look cool. were illegal in New York at one point. Yeah. Really? Yeah. My dad got one and it was like super illegal. It yeah. was like wow. crazy that he got one on Coney Island. I mean, it was <laughs> like, talk about an extremely subversive thing. Tattoos were so frowned upon in society. And yeah. Like, that's definitely a runoff of it. Popularizing and like normalizing the idea of having tattoos. Yeah, you can have one in the workplace. It, it would be no big thing now to get a job at KPMG with a bunch the of tattoos. Or something. <laughs> it's a consulting firm. <laughs> All right. So other good things uh, about hipsterism, flannels, cycling. Mm. Woo! Big cycling, fan. that's genuinely a, a, a good progression for society, especially mm. for America. Yeah. Vegetarianism and veganism, mm. generally good things. Prestige television, the idea of watching The Wire, I guess, in theory, is better than watching uh, Two and a Half Men or 24. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Do not fuck with 24, dude. It's so sick. <laughs> We're going to have to do that on the pod one day. Maybe you'll have to come on yeah, for that post one. Yeah, post-9-11 terror of fear. <laughs> Torture works. Literally, enhanced interrogation is good. It was cited by Scalia in one of his Supreme Court so arguments. Sick. All right, so I just named all the stuff that survived from hipster subculture, and it's all good stuff, I think. Mm. Eating real food, local stuff. In theory, I guess, fine. Yeah, it's probably more ethical. Only because the culture it was rejecting was extremely lame. It's suburban boomer consumerism based around convenience. Food that you can microwave. Or, you know, you don't want to watch a thinking man show. You don't want to watch The Wire. You want to throw on the fucking bing bong theory and mm. watch the nerds say things. Or coffee, you know. I don't need any fancy beans. Just give me my already ground five pound tub of Folgers. Look at how convenient it is. I can make one trip to the grocery store in my SUV and I have coffee <laughs> for months. <laughs> Boomers really love chains of any kind, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, dude. There's famous stories <laughs> about how hipster neighborhoods bought the introduction of a subway into William or something like that and like fuck Subway those places are boring and dude you're just not yeah. making the sandwich good enough dude, I if like you hate Subway, Subway that's because you're not doing my it. brother in Christ you Subway. ordered the sandwich yeah. <laughs> I haven't had Subway in like seven years Subway as an ass. Italian American it's disgusting dude, I can't eat it yeah, fuck you guys sweet onion chicken teriyaki bro oh, foot long <laughs> Woo. they got like a disgusting veggie burger thing that I fucking love so yeah. it's, it's like, like terrible it's, like, it's, it's so literal good. meat wad but yeah. it's like soy wad delicious yeah so sick I love I love Subway. Everything that you hate, I love. What about Dunkin' Donuts? How do we this feel is a about... new version of Hipster. I love Dunkin' Donuts, though. Yeah, I love Dunkin'. I'm just a normie. I should move to the suburbs. Yeah. yeah. Have all of my favorite things there. 
<laughs> well, Dan, that's because you are the PBR hipster, not the craft beer hipster. You are the second iteration of the hipster, not the third. Yeah, because the hipsters thought of themselves as tastemakers, they watched TV the best, they listened to music the best, they consumed culture the best. All of a sudden, I think that we do have a beer and wine track for almost every genre of TV. And I'll just take the sitcom as an example. This is something Matt Christman said on the last episode. Personal friend Matt Christman. Yeah. One of the things that separates the beer track from the wine track on the sitcom is whether or not you have a laugh track. Starting with Arrested Development in the early Y2K or maybe even Trailer Park Boys, something before. If you are a good sitcom, there's no laugh track. And that's something that keeps going to this day. The wine track of the sitcom is single camera, so it doesn't look like a play that you're filming. It has no laugh track. And maybe it'll be a little bit edgier. You know, it'll be something like an Always Sunny where the characters are real pieces of shit. Whereas the beer track, the mainstream track that still exists is anything made by Chuck Lore, which mm. is like the Big Bong Theory, Young Sheldon, Two and a Half Men, Two and a Half Men, which all have 10 seasons. He did a show called Mom starring Allison Janney that I've never seen, but I've seen so ads sick. for. Anna Ferris Ran eight seasons, dude. Wild. Two Broke Girls, fire. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you can still see it even with fucking Yellowstone, the most watched show in America. The hipster worldview has gone mainstream for anything that you could call prestige or anything that is real TV. It's like predominantly found on streaming now. And the normie culture that survived is still on the network TV. Every CSI ran for over 10, 10 seasons. It's crazy, dude. There's like CSIs we've never even heard of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. CSI colon cyber. Like <laughs> cyber crimes. So sick. That only ran two seasons. But yeah, I think that the hipster as figure, as it went mainstream, it accelerated this divorce of the beer and wine track. This schism. <laughs> All right. Now let's talk about what is bad about hipster subculture. So we just kind of put them on a pedestal a little bit. We talking, they love beards. They, they like good food. What do we hate about hipsters in general? They are like the most hated subculture of all time. I think people react more negatively to them more than hippies or punks. And I think that that will probably still be true in 20 years. Although we'll see. Wait, Jordana, what about furries? Yeah, furries, furries are pretty universally frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you want to say counterculture instead of subculture. Right, right. Counterculture. The most hated counterculture of all time. And so wh what do we hate about these people? I think when you say something like, oh, that's so mainstream, or I was into them five years ago, but they've since sold do out. Do I say stuff like that? No, no, no. no when you personally, <laughs> Dan, when you the say that. You. <laughs> I just mean that that's pretentious, yeah. right? You, you are trying to be better. And it comes back to that idea of wanting to have cultural capital, wanting mm. to flout your own ability to be a tastemaker. That's annoying behavior. To prove that you're better than other people is fundamentally annoying. Yeah. yeah and be smug about it. You see this on the internet now. Let people enjoy things. Mm. You hear this. And this gets back to our cringe conversation earlier. And I know it's very ironic for me, a guy who has a podcast where we dunk on things for laugh and clicks and views to say, let people enjoy things. But legit, two of the things that we have liked on this pod have been the Boondock Saints and Jackass, things that are objectively stupid. I, mean, um, I was going to say objectively good. Yeah, objectively know. awesome. <laughs> Amazing. You mean? Also, then yeah. let me enjoy Buffalo Wild Wings, bro. Why yeah. are you hating? I know, right? This is why I'm a yeah. tremendous hypocrite. <laughs> After you read Twilight, you, you said that you'd rather be illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> 
than have read that book. That is taken out of context. I mean, like one of the bad manifestations of that came in the internet. The Mm -hmm. current environment of what being online is, is steeped in the irony and the pretentiousness and the poison-pilled nature of thinking that you know more and are better than somebody. And like, you know, it's a horrible place to be. I mean, I spend almost (laughs) all of the time on it. I'm there all the time. Almost all of my precious, precious hours of yeah, life. Yeah, wasted like look, posting images online. Everyone share your screen time right now. <laughs> oh, dude, it's horrible. I'm I don't want kidding. to. I'm just kidding. No one asked me that. Yeah. But if you think about the ethos of the punk, their whole thing is they're rude, right? And they, they hate authority. And yet we look very fondly on punks. Yeah, but they actually made something. There was gusto behind it. And it was backed with artifacts like music and style and zines. Ideology. Where, where yeah, would like, we be without the zines? Things that lasted. Most of the things that we discussed were just amplified by the idea of a hipster. They weren't invented. Like, veganism wasn't invented by hipsters. It was Mm -hmm. more so amplified. There's nothing that was created in it. It's simply a reaction to culture at large. it's also just late-stage capitalism, right? Yeah. I was trying to avoid saying that. I know, but it's impossible. It's like what you're saying. We're like, we're humping a dead horse. That's not even a saying, but... (laughs) (laughs) I like that way more, though. We're just just humping this dead horse. We're just humping a dead horse. look at us. We're humping the dead horse. You know, we're trying to suck cultural value out of a world that's devoid of that because it's all been sucked up by capitalism. Yeah, one of the most accurate things that Star Trek The Next Generation predicted. Oh, nerd hour. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Let people enjoy things. Yeah. They have a hollow deck on Star Trek The Next Generation where you can play pretend in any holographic scenario that you want. But because the show is based in our world, made in the 80s and 90s, everything that people in the far future imagine is our culture now. So even mm. though they're advanced spaceship people, they LARP as Robin Hood, mm. they LARP as Sherlock Holmes, yeah. they LARP as... And this is obviously just because that's when the show was made, but it is actually how the future ended up being where it's a fundamentally backwards-looking culture. Mm. Mm-hmm. That, I'm just imagining a hipster TNG crew would be like, Mr. Data, ready the holodeck. I'm going to work as a lumberjack. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's the lamest thing. We're like, we're all like, oh, we're supposed to have fucking flying cars. Mm -hmm. And so we have Elon Musk being like, we should invent subways, but just for one car at a time. (laughs) And it's like, it's going to hit into everything. It's going to hit your children and you're all going to die. Yeah, Yeah. your car is going to explode on the highway and you're going to die in it. And that's, this is welcome to the future. My contrarian take is that as a cyclist, I fucking love Elon Musk, man. Ooh, interesting. Because his cars keep bricking. Oh, yeah. They keep blowing up. Because he's making driving worse. I saw a story where a Tesla bricked in the middle of the Transbay tube in San Francisco and just caused a traffic jam for like eight hours. People were stuck there. There was like this one. Should have taken a bike, motherfucker. (laughs) Wildly off topic, but there was a a video highway cam where the Tesla just literally slammed on the brakes in the middle of the highway and caused like a 12 car pile up. It was insane. (laughs) Should have taken the train for your intercity trip. I just want to wrap up and we'll talk about the death of the hipster to what extent this counterculture disappeared from society and this eulogy has been given many times on the hipster most people say it happened sometime between 2010 2015 by 2009 academia was already writing about it being on the decline I think that the Occam's razor reason for why the hipster doesn't exist anymore is just that it's now mainstream and so it can't be nonconformist you can't be a hipster because that's just acting like the mainstream of society yeah the hipster 
hipster died because they won. They got everything they wanted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that's different from other countercultures. For hippies, the hippie died because, from what I understand, a lot of them joined cults and, like, it went bad. <laughs> yeah, or, like, they just, like, a... got jobs and, like, took showers <laughs> yeah. and sold out. And they yeah. had a bad reaction to LSD. But this it seems to happen to a lot of things, especially nowadays. Look at something like BLM folding into the culture. Yeah. The OG BLM that was founded in 2014 in Ferguson, Missouri. Mm. You, dear listeners, should look up how many of those founders have been killed, almost mm-hmm. certainly, by the police. Yeah, under mysterious circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some suicides where you, you know, you know how when you commit suicide, you shoot yourself and then you light your own car on fire. <laughs> that thing that you do. I love committing suicide with four shots to my own head. Yeah. The OG BLM is this hella radical movement. And now, I mean, the organization itself, they filed taxes and they're worth multi-million dollars or whatever. But now it's become so commodified that live Democrat mayors can rename streets and plazas Black Lives Matter Plaza. Mm-hmm. And it's become nothing more than a symbol. It's been yeah. like defanged and commoditized. So yeah, when I think of the original hipsters and maybe the ones from 1999 or 2004, I imagine a guy with back problems, <laughs> a, a white guy with an Asian wife who at 45 years old just had his first child <laughs> and he lives in Park Slope with mm-hmm. a, a $2,000 stroller. Mm-hmm. Every weekend he goes to Long Island City and takes the baby to the one of the breweries there to drink craft Beautiful. Yeah, uh, while the baby screams. <laughs> a future we can all believe in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the baby almost certainly is neurodivergent in some way, the, the parents mm-hmm. insist. So last topic here. You guys are something of tastemakers yourself, you know? One would say, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people tell me that, actually. You run a <laughs> international a media organization <laughs> between the two of you. And I wanted to ask you, what do you think the countercultural figure of the 2010s is, or even the 2020s? Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. Is he the, is he the hipster? He's the know. Kurt Cobain of the 2010s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when they stole the election from him, that was Kurt committing suicide. I mean... <laughs> There's nothing. We have nothing. What do yeah. you mean? There's nothing there anymore. The answer is that everything is now so atomized online and, and fucking micro-targeted and yeah. like so niche. People live in such fucking separate worlds. COVID only amplified that to a million degrees. There's no one universal figure or culture or movement. Everything is so neurodivergent. <laughs> Everything's just like so fucking split up. It's also fragmented. There is no more monoculture. Yeah. Because there's no monoculture, you can't have one big counterculture. Right. Mm, true. The Batman Joker kind of situation. It truly they... is. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there is no counterculture figure because... I think there are people that think they're counterculture or think they're figures of counterculture, but I don't know that I agree. I don't know. The first thing that comes to mind is I think about Dime Square, what that was supposed to be. Mm. And that was supposed to be counter. And that was kind of like a hipster thing, but it's yeah. really not. No, but really you're just getting Peter Thiel money. And yeah, it's just... Listening to Curtis Yarvin talk. That's the least subversive thing you can do. We come back to the point I made at the beginning. If you really want to be a counterculture person, go to church. Go to church. (laughs) Got to be trash. Yeah. And and I should preface by saying that we're talking about white people here. I'm sure, like, I'm sure if you're (laughs) like. Folks, we're talking about whites. If you're like a SoundCloud rapper or something, I'm sure that that is a valid type of countercultural figure. But. Right. So I have a theory about this that I've been cooking up in the. In the the fucking lab, bro. In the lab, yeah. So it seems like nostalgia in general has a 20 year cycle. That's why people in the East Village are listening to the fucking Counting Crows and wearing stupid 90s stuff right now. But for counterculture figures, we have a 50-year cycle. So the hipster is a figure that comes back from 1950 to 2000. And in the 90s, we actually had a 40s countercultural figure come back. If you guys remember the, the swing revival movement the of the 90s. Man? Remember like, the mask <laughs> and like, the swingers? Yeah. There, there was like a zoot suit guy in the, the 90s. The zoot suit riot was a banger. Remember yeah. that song? <laughs> 
go out on that. Yeah. Fuck, we should, we should bring back I, suits. suits. <laughs> <laughs> so Honestly, drop the mic. That's it. This is so awesome. I knew guys who Lindy hopped in the 90s, and I was like, yeah, this Damn. is very stupid. But anyways, I'm speculating that we'll have to take something from the 60s to be the counterculture figure of the 2010s, and I think that it's the raver or something. Yeah, I was, mm. was going to say drugs. Yeah. We yeah. took the drugs from the 60s. I don't know anyone, maybe it's just because I live in Brooklyn and do drugs. I don't know anyone who's not on drugs. Like, it's cool Me and my friends are all doing drugs. <laughs> Therefore, everyone is doing but drugs. But like, I mean, truthfully, like antidepressants, whatever, like, everyone is mostly on a drug. We took yeah. the drugs from the 60s. It's just more boring now and sold to us at a higher price. <laughs> well, yeah. well, the term hippie. And just fentanyl also. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fentanyl. Yeah. You also might die from it. Yeah. The term hippie is a diminutive form of hipster. Mm. So mm-hmm. they called them hippies because they were like, oh, they're like hipsters in that they like drugs and dancing, jazz cigarettes. But they only used the diminutive form because they abandoned all of the intellectual stuff about the hipster, mm. the idea of knowing information. And so a hippie is a type of, of hipster back then. And I think today, yeah, you could consider a raver who's only interested in the drugs and the music part of the, the hipster lifestyle. In the 2020s, if we're on this 50-year cycle, we'll get a new type of punk. So be on the lookout. Here, baby. Be on the lookout mm. for a new type of, uh, of punk. God, I hope so. The hipster handbook has a list of terms like hipster slang. There's 200 hipster words that were written down. None of them are recognizable. There's <laughs> no such thing as a cool hipster word, unlike the original, maybe. What are some of them? I'm like, Remember, like calling things deck. Do you guys know what deck means? Like, no. oh, that's so no. deck. No one ever said that. That I've book uses that. that word probably 500 times. Deck? Deck. D E C K? Yeah. No. It means cool. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you right now, it doesn't book? mean that. Who wrote like, like who a is... foremost Williamsburg hipster in 2003? They constantly say, oh, yeah, that's so deck. And then the other one that they use all the time is fang. You're like, oh, yeah, it's totally fang. You Never know? in my life. Quit trying to make fang happen. Yeah. Yeah. Fang, yeah, like the French F-I-N. It means it's done. It's uh-huh. finished. It's not good. It's just LCD sound system. I was there. <laughs> I wasn't there saying fang. <laughs> I was there in a Williamsburg loft saying deck. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to say is when we were researching this episode, there is so much stupid, real academic writing on the hipster, mm. which is so fucking pathetic for like sociologists to be <laughs> like, ooh, let's look at the affluent white people downtown. It's right. like, don't you have like fucking crimes to learn about? Aren't there real social problems you could be researching with your time well, or whatever? Well, because it's like looking in a mirror, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Why do people do psychology? Because they're fucked up. That's why they study it. <laughs> yeah. I got a master's in psychology, so yeah. I can say that. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, you're reading something they're using on these German critical theory terms is like they developed a certain Weltanschauung in their neighborhoods of a certain Gestalt and yeah. I myself am looking forward to the hipster Gesamtkunstwerk <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's navel it's gazing right? yeah, yeah. It's, it's navel gazing at consumerism so I just want to wrap up by saying thank you for being here thank you to our guests uh, True Pater thank you for having me and thank you for shopping uh, thank you those are their Instagram handles you should give their meme pages a follow they're very funny they're, they're seeped in irony and nostalgia about may may Runoff of the hipster. Look mm-hmm. up hipster runoff too. I wish I could have explained it better. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you joined us, as always, thanks for listening. Please like, subscribe, give us five stars, and uh, we'll see you next time. Ciao. Bye bye. Bye bye.
whispering in the trees. It's two cities and they're only pipes and chains and swinging hands. Who's your daddy? Yes, I am. I mean, like the ed- like hip, like you're into something that's like popular, new, fresh, away from like the mainstream. Like it's into whatever is like the thing. So it could be whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That would made no sense. <laughs> well, well, it was Scooter, can you get that? Just, <laughs> That was like a four-year-old trying to you say You might need to redose the Adderall here. <laughs> it's fucking, you know, you hip, you there. Hey, bing, bow, bow. 